We've been in a series the last five weeks looking at one small word that has big impact. And we learned the word no and how powerful it is as a boundary word. Then we looked at the word yes. There are 7,457 promises of God in the Bible, and the Bible says, and they are all yes in Christ Jesus. Then we looked at the word sorry. We don't use that one much, but we should. And then I used the Beatles last week to help me with the word help. I need somebody, not just anybody, but I need somebody. So I was thinking about Easter Sunday and the idea of resurrection. What one word would set that apart? I'll come back to that in just a moment. If you can imagine being around 2,000 years ago when this man Jesus came and you listened to him when he taught, you'd know instantly nobody ever said the things he's saying. Nobody had ever lived like this. Nobody had ever loved the way he did. So you wanted to become his follower and you left everything. You left your home, left your family, left your work. People told you you were crazy, but you didn't care. You're totally convinced this guy's got it. This little community he's starting is going to change the world. And for a while, it was an amazing adventure. And then one Sunday, you went into Jerusalem and everybody wanted to make him king. They were all happy and thrilled. But Jesus wouldn't be that kind of a king, and he turned it down. And things went south really bad. By Friday, what we call Good Friday, this man you had given up everything to follow was now dead. Not just dead, he was crucified like a common criminal. That meant failure in that culture, and you were in deep despair. So on Sunday, you go to the tomb because you had nowhere else to go. The tomb is empty. The stone that had blocked it has now been rolled away. The Roman guards who were stationed there because they had heard about a possible resurrection, they're gone. And now there's an angel. And the angel says, Jesus is not here. He's still alive. So you go and tell everybody the good news. Now that'll probably be dangerous. The Romans will probably kill you for it. But you're thinking, well, they killed Jesus and he's doing pretty good. So you don't worry about it. So you go tell everybody, hey, gang, hate's out, love is in, and the crucified carpenter from Nazareth is now master of the universe. Jesus Christ is risen. Now, what do you think would be the first words out of your mouth if you heard that the first Sunday morning ever? There's a tradition in churches around the world that's been there a long, long time, and at gatherings like this, the, the minister would say, Jesus Christ is risen. And then all the people would respond, he is risen indeed. Now that's a beautiful sentiment. I don't think that is possibly the response they had. They weren't that polished. I think the first Sunday morning when they heard that message, Jesus Christ, the guy you knew, the man you followed, this carpenter, this rabbi, is raised from the dead and I saw him die. I think the first word for Easter would be, wow. Wow is what we say when something happens that turns the world upside down. We didn't see it coming. 
And we don't really know how to take it all in. Wow is an expression of wonder, bewilderment, awe, and being kind of dumbstruck. It's interesting that every language has a word for wow. It doesn't have a definition. Of all the words we've looked at in the last five weeks, it's the one that doesn't have a definition. Now, if somebody doesn't say wow in a moment of shock, the other word they most likely use, I can't say this morning. (laughs) But it could be God or oh my God, because in those moments, the soul knows there's something bigger than us, someone bigger than us. So let me take a few moments and talk about this Easter word, wow, because it's got something to teach us. Now, your world and mine, that's reality, is filled with wows. Our universe is filled and built on wow. And then other moments come along in history, like the Wright brothers. They get into this machine, and all of a sudden, human beings can fly. Then several decades later, a man named Neil Armstrong takes his first step on the moon. Like many of you, I remember watching that live when I was young. That was so long ago, but I watched it. That's, wow, there's a man on the moon. Then for you baseball fans, the Chicago Cubs, after 100 years, win the World Series, proving there is a God and that God is infinitely good. Wow, what an amazing moment. But it's not just the universe. Your life is filled with wow moments. How about birth? What a mystery. I remember when one of our kids was being born. I'm in the hospital room with Cindy, and it's noisy, messy, and people are crying and in pain. And I'm supposed to be coaching, but I'm eating the sucker that's meant for her. And the guy next to us is watching his wife push, push. And then I remember he passed out graveyard dead, fell right on the floor. And a few moments later, I heard the cry of our baby. Wow! If you go to the Great Wall of China, not not the one south of Texas, but if you go to the Great Wall of China and you see that incredible structure, you'll give a big wow. Astronauts can see it from outer space. Get a driver's license. I can drive a car all by myself for the first time. That's a wow! Parents are saying, oh, God, yeah. (laughs) You meet a girl. You propose. She says, yes. You get married. Wow. So every life has wow moments. The universe is built on a wow. Birth and death are a wow. But I want to talk about the great wow. I want to walk through three simple truths to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. They're very simple. The first one is that the resurrection actually happened in history. The second, the resurrection changed everything, and I mean everything. And the third is that the resurrection is deeply personal. Now, it can mean the world, life, or death to me, to you. So here we go. Number one, the resurrection really did happen. Now, that's important because in our day, Often there's a kind of an idea floating around by modernists and humanists about Easter that Jesus probably existed. He was probably a nice guy, probably a great teacher, probably deeply inspirational, but, you know, he was just a man and 
It was just stuff happening at a human level. And when he died, people missed him, felt sorry. Some folks felt like his spirit was still lingering around, and they sensed his presence. So they turned that into some mythical story about a resurrection, kind of folklore stuff. Because, Rick, in the ancient world, don't you know, people were naive. Some of them took it literally. They shouldn't have. Stories about resurrection should be understood just as symbolic. They're just mythical stories about the power of hope or how a life has a way of reemerging. Now, may I take a minute and explain that for New Testament people and writers, that the resurrection did not mean that at all. It was totally understood to be true and literal, not mystical. See, they were presenting it as something that actually happened, and a lot was riding on this. There's an Oxford scholar named Richard Baucom. He's a brilliant guy, and he wrote a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And he talks about how in the ancient world, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, there would be folks who were very serious about writing history and what really happened. Now, it was very different genre than myth or folklore, and they believed to write serious history depended, wouldn't you, on talking to eyewitnesses who were still alive, who had actually been participants in the event. They were there. They saw it. They knew what was going on, and they knew how to tell the history. So history is built on eyewitness testimony by ancient historians who are serious about their craft. Now watch, we see it in the Gospels. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And notice how seriously he writes what he puts together. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you so that you may know the absolute certainty of the things you're being taught. So whatever you think about this writing by Luke or the apostles, it's not intended to be symbolic history. Well, Baucom goes on to write that in ancient histories that were meant to be taken seriously, eyewitnesses played the same role that footnotes play in literature in our day. If somebody writes something very serious about and they want it to be taken as a truth, they will take their thesis or their subject and they'll put footnotes at the bottom which say, if you don't believe me, you can check this out here with this person or this, this source. Now today you can Google. <laughs> but in physics textbooks or peer-reviewed journal articles or research, there are footnotes. But in light, fluffy, symbolic, mystical stories, there ain't no footnotes. There are no footnotes in Dr. Seuss or the very hungry caterpillar. Now, we see this dynamic over in the Gospels and the importance of it. These are stories drawn from eyewitnesses, Luke said. Here's one place in the Gospel of Mark. Mark says, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by, and the Romans forced him to carry the cross. So Mark notes that there's a guy named Simon. Now, Simon was a common name in Israel. But he wants to distinguish who he was. 
This particular Simon came from Serene. And then to make it even clearer, he notes, and he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, why in the world would Mark include the father of Alexander and Rufus? They weren't famous people even back then. Well, it's precisely because they would have become part of the Christian community. They were still alive. They could be contacted. They were there when this happened. So Mark is understood to be the first gospel written. And Mark is saying, hey, if you don't believe me, check out these boys. They're still here. They were there. They saw him. They touched him. You can check it out. This happened, and it matters. Now, you see the same dynamic of eyewitness testimony in another striking part of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all accounts of Jesus' life and resurrection, and it includes the names of eyewitnesses who saw the tomb empty and heard the message from the angels, Jesus is not here. He's risen. He's alive. And in each case, the first eyewitnesses at the empty tomb are women. Now, we don't tend to think much about that statement, but that would have been shocking in the ancient world because in the ancient world, women were not regarded generally as credible witnesses. In ancient Israel and in ancient Rome, women generally were not even allowed to serve as eyewitnesses in a court of law. They could not legally give testimony in a court. Men could. And you see this dynamic at work in this little passage from the Gospel of Luke. Luke is writing about the resurrection, and he says, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and others with them who told of this resurrection to the apostles. But they, the men, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed to the men like nonsense. Can you believe there was a time when men were slow to take women seriously? There you go. The women said, Jesus Christ is alive. He's risen. And the men, the apostles said, fake news way back then. It wasn't until some of the men actually saw Jesus alive that they took it seriously. Now, here's the point. If the stories of the resurrection were just made-up stories trying to convince gullible people about some higher truth, people would never have made that up with women as eyewitnesses, knowing it would be rejected. And yet in every single gospel, it is women who are listed that way. And the only reason women are listed as the eyewitnesses is they were eyewitnesses. They were the first. Nobody could have or would have ever made that up. The writers were taking the history of the resurrection seriously. And whatever you may think about these accounts, they are presenting the resurrection as something that really did happen. Now, just for a second, Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, ate, slept, talked, and were teaching over 500 people at once for over four, 40 days. So he didn't do a quick hit and miss. He hung around for a month and a half teaching and explaining the resurrection, redemption, and what it all meant to over 500 witnesses at once. And remember, they only counted men. They didn't count women. So he was out in the middle of masses of people. You could see him. You could touch him. Hey, that's the same guy. Now, if George Arujo had been dead three years, and I've known him for several years sitting over here, and he came back from the dead, I'd know in just a few moments if this Portuguese-born guy was George or not. 
I know what his voice sounds like. I know how curly his hair is. I know his little idiosyncrasies. That's George. Are you mad? You would too. So if you've been hanging around Jesus for three and a half years, you'd know what kind of aftershave he wore. You'd know a little bit about his idiosyncrasies and how he spoke, wouldn't you? Uh, somebody call 911. I see dead people. Are you all okay? Yeah, you'd know. This is not difficult. So why is this important? Because of the next truth. Number two, the resurrection changed everything. It's the hinge of history. To this day, we date human history by the life of that one man, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again. You know, every time you date a check, sign a contract, buy a car, and you date anything, you are attesting that 2,018 years ago, Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose from the dead. He changed everything. Buddha didn't change anything. Muhammad didn't change anything. The world didn't change and was affected in any significant way. But Jesus and his resurrection changed everything. So we all have wow moments in our lives. But honestly, they don't change anything a lot. I remember living in California and as a Boy Scout going to Yosemite National Park for the first time. Wow, it was amazing. I remember when I got my first paycheck saying, wow. And then when I saw how much went to IRS, wow. Yeah, we, we all have wow moments, but they come and go and the world just keeps right on going, doesn't it? Our problems keep right on going. Life and death keep right on going. But once there was a man named Jesus, and he came and taught like nobody ever taught, that God is real, that God is loving, that God is more loving than your mother or your father, that God cares about you. He said not even a sparrow, a bird, falls from its nest, that God doesn't know about it or care about it. He said even the hair on your head, each hair is numbered. And for some of you, that's getting easy, getting easy to count. You know, some of you, when you take a shower and you look down at the drain, you put your big toe and you say, God be with you till we meet again. You know, it's just <laughs> going. But the, he's meticulous in knowing about you. God is infinitely good. God is concerned about justice. And there was this amazing movement. And then Jesus died. And for the moment, the movement died with him. And do you understand that on Saturday, there was nothing left of that movement? And then on Sunday, bang. It was on big time. A lot of people don't understand this, but Christianity is quite unique among other faiths in this way. It is the only faith that not developed gradually over time. One day it didn't exist. Next day it did exist. And people were ready to die for it. And as a matter of historical fact, many did die for it. We're told in one of the gospel accounts so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell Jesus' disciples. And suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Now, I don't think about the big picture here. That's kind of understated. This big drama has occurred, the big crucifixion, the earth sh shaking, I mean, darkness covering the earth, dramatic. And then Jesus comes out of the tomb. How y'all? It's kind of like he said, what'd you expect? Greetings. It's so understated. 
Well, they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Yesterday, he was a crucified criminal, failed Messiah. Today, he's Lord of the universe, and they worshipped him. So his way, the way of servanthood, humility, self-sacrifice, and love wasn't thwarted at all by the cross. In fact, it turned the cross into the most recognized symbol in human history. You don't have to live in fear anymore now. You don't have to live in guilt, shame, condemnation, or defeat. Nations rise, nations fall, civilizations come, civilizations go. But the shadow of this one man haunts the human race 2,000 years later like nobody else. He changed everything. And that power that resurrected Jesus can be at work in your life. Now, that's the last and third great truth. The resurrection is deeply personal. We all face the wonder of being born and then having our lives come to an end. Biblical writers talk a lot about it. This is from the book of Hebrews. Just as people are destined to die once and after to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear to bring salvation, deliverance, healing, and forgiveness to those who are waiting for him. I hope you're waiting for him. Here's the truth about you and me. The biggest wow of your existence has not yet occurred. The most amazing moment in your life will be the moment, the second after you die. Now, we don't talk about it much, but it's a good thing to think about now and again, and especially at Easter because it's going to come to everybody. You know, there's an old, old story. A little kid comes running out of his bedroom, and he says to his mommy, Mommy, is it true that from dust we were made and dust we shall return? And mama says, yeah, why do you ask, Billy? And he said, well, I was just looking under my bed, and somebody's either coming or going. Say, <laughs> hey, in life, somebody is always either coming or going. The mortality rate is still 100%. And I'm a nutrition eater too, but I don't care if you suck barley green or inject it in your veins. I don't care how many supplements you take. I don't care how many bike helmets, knee pad wearing, uh, airbagged, inoculated uh, vitamins, you, supplements you take, exercise, you're going to die. You're going to die. It's appointed unto man, wants to die. And the last time I checked, the mortality rate is still 100%, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. So that moment's going to come to your life and mine when your life will be over. And then something amazing will happen. I talked a few months ago to somebody who'd been part of our church for a long time, and he was in the last hours of his life. And the last thing he said to me when I was leaving was, Rick, I'll see you in heaven. Imagine that moment. That will be your moment, or the Bible says you'll face an eternity without God. That's a wow. God doesn't want anybody to face that. So he says, I'll give you my grace and my love and my forgiveness wherever you've messed up. I'll give it to you as a free gift. And I'll be part of your life every moment that you live. And then you can be with me forever in all of eternity after you die. That one moment after you die, not only will it be you celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, <laughs> it'll be celebrating the resurrection of you. Wow. I want to I say that again. That is so good. So, Jesus Christ is risen, and you say, wow. See, that's good. Uh, here's why we're doing that, why I said that. The death and resurrection of Jesus means sin is forgiven. 
that death is now taken care of, that you can have hope, that you can have a purpose and meaning in life, and that you have a message, you have a destiny, that love has triumphed over hate. And not just that, it means that creation itself is going to be redeemed, and that suffering has been repealed, that every loss is going to be restored, that God himself will wipe away every tear from every sorrowing eye, that sickness and disease and sadness and grieving and mourning and weeping will be no more. This moment will come. It will surely come. And it will come for one reason, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus Christ is risen. Wow. That's the great gift, and that's what we celebrate on Easter. That's the Easter wow. And I want to talk to you about one more wow, because this death and resurrection power comes to us, not just for us, but so we can be conduits of God's resurrection power and love and hope and mercy to people in our world. Maybe there's a person sitting next to you right now, and you love them, but you often kind of take them for granted. And maybe in this moment, as we close... You remember, that's somebody made in the image of God for whom Jesus died and was resurrected. And you just might want to glance at them at that person and just kind of whisper, wow. Or maybe you're single and you're sitting next to a very attractive person and you'd like to follow up on that a little later. <laughs> maybe you're in a situation where you feel like there is no hope, a relationship, a marriage, a friend. Maybe it feels dead. Maybe you've been betrayed by somebody. Maybe it's a problem with your children. God, this morning, wants to fill you with resurrection hope. He said, because I live, you shall live also. Summit is a place where everybody is welcome. Nobody's perfect. But with the power of resurrection with Jesus Christ, anything is possible. And we're going to celebrate that right after this service with people getting baptized. And if you've never been baptized, we have garments for you. You don't need anything, and it won't take but just a few moments, and we'll all cheer you on out there in the lobby. I'm going to ask everybody bow your head just for one more second. Close your eyes as I pray. Heavenly Father, there are people right now being still, and they really need your presence and the power of the resurrected Jesus in their life. And if you're sitting here and that's you and you've never committed your life to God before, hey, you can do it right now. You just tell him, God, I confess my sin, you know, and I ask you to come and forgive me as a free gift of grace. Be my savior, my leader forever. And God loves doing that. God, would you bring your resurrection power to every man and woman and young person in this room who needs it right now, we pray, in the name of Jesus. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.